Welcome back to Let's Get Haunted with your host Matt Strong and Allie Terry. Hello, everybody. Third episode of the year. Wow. Wow. Good for you guys keeping up with this podcast and making consistent changes and rituals for yourself. Nine out of 10 doctors and 10 out of 10 paranormal investigators recommend Let's Get Haunted for your um, daily mental health. You know, not enough people talk about mental health and it's so clear that listening to Let's Get Haunted not only supports all of those causes, it also might give you mental illness. We're not sure. (laughs) We're not saying that we're trying to make your life more haunted, but our lives have certainly gotten exponentially more haunted since starting this podcast. It's by haunted people for For haunted haunted people. people. Look, if your life is going well, get the fuck out because this is not the podcast for you. If your life is going well and you want to keep listening to our podcast, you better go quickly set your car on fire. You need something fucked up. You have to restore the balance. Otherwise, you will get struck down. You, I would rather your car catch on fire than you catch on fire. Yes. Yes. Yeah. We're just giving you sound advice. Go go catch your car on fire right now. The Come thing back. is, is like when you expose this much truth in one hour and 30 minutes, the universe and the devil both get angry. God is is upset that right. the horrors of the universe are being exposed. The devil's upset that we're exposing that he can only be in one place at one time and is currently stuck in a tree. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. A podcast about ghosts and anxiety. If you- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let's get anxious. Right. Welcome back. I know. Our people have turned this off. They're like, this is I don't making blame. me. I'll, I'll try to I'm going to throw down. up in the, my car on the way to work right now. Also, if it's echoey, you guys, um, it's because, as you know, we record wherever anyone allows us to record. And we're currently in a house that Natalia's dog sitting at. And this dog is a vegan. Now, I know what you're thinking. Table it. I know exactly what you're thinking. Like, you want to I know what you're it. thinking. I'm getting Ta- triggered. Right. And you would be Table correct. It. Because here's the thing, the dog's owner is my friend, so I'm not going to like trash talk these people, but the on the dog food, it says it's for sensitive dogs. So actually, maybe unbeknownst to me, there are dogs that are allergic to meat. Like, would they die in the wild? Probably, which goes back to my, um, my I have a conversation that Alyssa always edits out of every single episode, you so you guys won't it. hear it, where I talk about how... No, I left that in. Didn't I leave that in the last time you tried to bring it up? Absolutely not. Because why would you leave it in? Oh my God, you're right. I did. I edited it out. Yes, yeah. you're correct. All I'm saying is that this dog is a supernatural being like mm-hmm. against all odds this dog has found a way to make it into society and live like it's a hundred if it is really allergic to meat it is 100 percent created by humans that gene would have died out a long time ago it's a really cute dog though this is how bougie this dog is i texted the owner and i was like hey your dog's out of its food um is there somewhere i can go to buy it and she's like oh i'll just have them postmates it to you right now what yeah a guy driving a mercedes pulls up he walks up to the front door carrying like enough food for like five days in a bag that's actually marketed like vegan for dogs and i was like how does this company exist and then i was like oh this is probably like 150 dollars per bag we're in a beautiful home in the hollywood hills right now and natalia is dog sitting a vegan dog that just got postmated 200 dollars worth of vegan dog food Right. If we all could aspire to be a vegan dog living in the Hollywood Hills, 
dying internally, but you know what? Beautiful but surroundings. Looks, great. Looks, looks great. Does it look great? I don't know. It looks you know, like it got into a cactus. does look like it got into a cactus. I'll, this is just a reflection of the everyone else who lives in the Hollywood Hills. It's like, from a distance, they look really good. And then you get up close and, and you're, you're like, like did are you, you fall okay? in a cactus? Or did you just get a bad lip filler? <laughs> 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 wow I actually fell in a cactus when I was in college I was drunk and I fell into a cactus and I my arm had like seven quills in it and I remember being like this is cool everyone take a picture and so there's just exists out in the world a photo of very drunk Natalia holding a red solo cup pointing to a bunch of quills out on my arm oh and like my being like thumbs up this is cool my favorite college natalia story is no. when you climbed a tree to impress a guy that you liked and then you had realized you had to pee so you just peed off the tree <laughs> yeah you guys this is like why a I fucking possum this is why i don't drink right now this is why this is exactly what you're saying is the reason i don't i can't drink i anymore. just i love it because i could see i could almost see myself having that logic but being too late lazy to climb the tree but you know but you're not lazy because you're athletic so you have the idea and you're like this is a good idea but you and know you what carry it, it out it impressed that guy he was impressed i'm sure he was he was he probably was so like impressed. wow this bitch straight up peed off a tree <laughs> like- i scaled <laughs> i like scaled a tree that was like so much higher than anyone who's remotely sober would be you know what i mean yeah like i'm sure for him like no low-hanging branches like you just fucking shimmied up that tree and got up there yeah i like got all the way up there and then i was like oh this is this is just my home now i'm gonna mark it yeah that makes sense to me i don't think it's weird at all no fucks were given no there we did so many bad things in college but natalia you had an audition the other day you said uh yes i actually i just had an audition on um friday so how'd it go or do you not want to talk about it no actually so i i'm trying to be a better person and in the past i always was like doom and gloom and i did what everyone was doing around me because i wanted to fit in and one of the cool things to do when you're an actor is like get really freaked out about auditions and be superstitious and think that if you talk about it that you're not going to book it because i remember you saying that to me once is that you the reason why you never talked about your auditions to me was because it's supposed to be bad luck right it's supposed to be bad luck and then the other thing is like if you book a ticket or a trip then that means you're going a book work like while you're gone mm-hmm. so like people say oh if you want to book something then just like try to buy a plane ticket for the same date that it's going to go because then you're going to get it oh These, so funny. now I don't believe in any of that shit I'm like I'm going to talk about auditioning because I like this I chose right. to do this yeah. because it's fun and I'm going to do it so yeah I had my first audition back in a long time and it was cool to get back in the swing of things a little bit it was three scenes I walked in the casting director looked at me like um who are you because you kind of like get to know everybody when you're doing this all the time. You see the same people over and over and oh, over interesting. again. Yeah, especially if you're going in for role, like this particular role is for a Southeast, like a South Asian woman. Mm-hmm. So they wanted someone who was like, appeared to be 25 to 30 mm-hmm. and was South South Asian uh, Indian specifically. So I'm in there and there's like a bunch of other, I'm like looking around and all of the other girls uh, now don't get triggered by this or you know what do i you know what? i don't give a fuck this is my <laughs> podcast i'm looking around and i'm like all these bitches are way more indian than me like i'm like <laughs> fuck like if someone said oh i need to see an indian bitch like no like self-respecting 
production company wants to be caught hiring someone who's not whatever like person of color ethnicity it's supposed to be that that makes sense at least that's better than i remember one time you told me they told you that you didn't look yes uh you didn't look the part and you were like this is literally my ethnicity right and they cast somebody who was not that ethnicity yeah but because it filled their their like, check ethnic yeah yeah exactly so i'm looking around and i and you know all, everyone's like more indian than i am like they have like you know long luscious brown hair and they've got like long thick eyebrows and eyelashes and they just like have that like kind of like feminine outfit on that you think of when you think of like a beautiful indian woman mm-hmm. and then i'm just like fuck why did i wear skinny jeans and booties like i <laughs> suck like fuck my life now and then i thought about it and i was like you know what who fuck this like who cares I'm just gonna go in and I'm gonna do a great job and it's gonna set you apart and it's gonna set me apart and if they want to cast me then great and if they don't then great you know what I don't need this like Mm -hmm. even though I kind of (laughs) do like I want it um and yeah so we'll find out if I have a callback or not now we wait that's exciting yeah I'm excited so what was the, what were the scenes about or are you not allowed to say or can you say like the premise or um, I can kind of say the premise but sort of not so it's a SAG feature film which Ooh. means it's super legit because uh-huh. it's part of the uh, union and then it's also feature and so it was for the lead role so if I got that that would 100% qualify That's as my big dope. break yeah. yeah yeah we got this yeah we do the ghosts are on our side the ghosts are on our side we have the power of uh, gold Golg. Golg. And we have the power of Golg. Golg. And <laughs> what else do you need but Golg? Golg. Yeah. Exactly. Golg solves all of our problems, but also we have a more Golg, more problems. Yes. Yes. Well, are you ready to tell me your story today? Yes. Okay. Okay, Alyssa. Yes, Natalia. Are you ready to hear this story? I am. I've never been more ready for anything in my life than to be haunted right now. That makes me sad, but let's <laughs> do it anyways. <laughs> The tale that I will tell you today Mm -hmm. is not a mystery. Oh. It is not unsolved. What? It is not a conspiracy. It was a real event that happened with several witnesses. There are copious amounts of evidence tied to the case. There was a perpetrator found and convicted. Some would even say that justice was served. However, the circumstances surrounding this case are anything but natural. Oh my God. Wait, I'm really excited. I'm getting a tingle down my spine like an old woman hand stroking me. (laughs) (laughs) Don't tell me where. Um, Mark James Kilroy. Ring any bells? No. Oh, wow. You're in for a treat today. (laughs) Mark James Kilroy was born on March 5th, 1968 in Chicago, Illinois. His parents were James William Kilroy, a chemical engineer, and Helen Josephine Kilroy, a volunteer paramedic. Mark Kilroy grew up in Santa Fe, Texas, a small town outside of Houston, AO, that's where I'm from, for over 15 years, along with his brother, Keith Richard Kilroy. He was raised as a Catholic, and his parents were frequent attendees at Our Lady of Lord Catholic Church in the adjacent town of Hitchcock, Texas. Kilroy excelled in both academics and athletics as a teenager. He played baseball, basketball, and golf with his friends at school. He was in the Boy Scouts of America and an honor student at Santa Fe High School, where he was a member of the student council and was ranked 14th in a class of 210 students. Upon his graduation in 1986, Mark attended Southwest Texas State University in San Marcos, Texas, 
before transferring to Tarleton State University in Stephenville, Texas, on a basketball scholarship. At Tarleton, he became a member of the Lambda Chi Alpha fraternity. He then decided to give up his athletics and transfer to the University of Texas at Austin to become a pre-med student and prepare for his medical college admissions test, the MCAT. This guy sounds super smart. That's exactly what I was going to say. So Mark Kilroy, he sounds like a pretty stand-up guy, right? He's got great parents. He was raised Catholic. He's got strong morals. He was an honor student, member of the student council, athletic. He was on a basketball scholarship. He was social. He was a member of a fraternity. And then even after he, quote, gives up on athletics, he transfers to UT to go pre-med. It's like he really planned his future wouldn't you say so yeah he sounds very well-rounded and like uh i could never even have been half of those things in college right he's very mature for his Mm -hmm. age and he it just sounds like based off of that he didn't take chances with the future you know he had a plan he had even had a basketball scholarship and was like you know what no basketball is not solid enough of a career i'm going to become a doctor instead yeah there's just not one thing that seems sketchy about mark even his name mark is just like normal and trustworthy right correct yeah his name doesn't start with a j so i automatically trust him so now with that in mind let's travel over from texas to miami florida and i'm going to tell you about someone else who's living in the same time period named adolfo constanzo have you heard of him no i've never heard of him Adolfo Constanzo was a Cuban-American who was born in Miami, Florida in 1962. His father died when he was an infant, so his mother relocated to Puerto Rico with him, where she remarried. Adolfo and his mother returned to Florida in 1972, and his stepfather died soon afterwards, leaving a large inheritance behind. His mother married again, this time with a man who was involved in drug trafficking and the occult. Adolfo's new stepfather taught Adolfo a philosophy that he carried for the rest of his life. His stepfather told him that he should let non-believers, quote, kill themselves with drugs while he could profit from their foolishness. What? Additionally, Adolfo Constanzo's mother believed that her son had psychic abilities. She introduced him to Palo Mayombe, an Afro-Caribbean religion that involves animal sacrifice. Adolfo was also introduced to Santeria when he was younger. He started as a palero, someone who practices palo mayombe, and eventually reached the status of high priest, a padrino. In 1984, Adolfo moved to Mexico City to start his life as a tarot card reader and eventually developed a cult following. Now, we're not talking about a cult following like the Let's Get Haunted cult following, okay? okay? We're talking about an actual cult that practices human sacrifice. Oh, shit. So Adolfo Constanzo believed that by sacrificing his victims, those doing the sacrifice would be ensured strength, abundance, and immunity from law enforcement and injury. And that's very specific from law enforcement and injury, not from like befalling harm in general. Right. He also believed that he could have more supernatural powers by sacrificing in these rituals. We've talked on this podcast before several times about why ritual sacrifices happen. It's because of the importance that the person who's sacrificing puts on whatever they're sacrificing. Mm -hmm. That's like what makes the magic work. So if you're sacrificing a human that's super well behaved and 
really good and, you know, is just like a great all around person, then that person has more value and more power that you can take from them than somebody who's not as pure. Yeah. Yeah. We talked about that on the episode that we had uh, Jamie McCune on that you did about um, the the, Angela Sanford. Yes. Angela Sanford, the MySpace witch. Yes, we did. Yes, we did. Um, Real quick aside, I promise this is going to be one minute. Did I ever tell you about how one of our adjacent neighbors to one of our ranches practiced Santeria and would throw chicken hearts and chicken heads into our field after they were done with their sacrifices? No. Yes. And it happened quite a few times and that's a food safety hazard. And so we would have to go clean up the various animal parts. They would throw like bones into Mm -hmm. the field um like gizzards right literal like cut out a heart and mm-hmm. cut out a stomach the last time they threw something into a field would have been like three years ago so you're familiar with this with Santa correct Diana. yeah can you give everyone who's maybe not uh familiar with it like a very short just concise sort of like background of what it is I don't know if I'd be able to explain the religious and cultural significance of Santeria, but my knowledge of it is Afro-Latin culture. So Adolfo, he, like a lot of people who get into positions of power where we look back on it in history and are like, how did they do that? Was super charismatic. He was well-liked by everyone he met. He was attractive and he was even previously a male model before he was a cult leader. Oh, geez. So very good looking, very charismatic. Very good looking. Exactly. And Adolfo's charm, look, and acclaimed psychic talent granted him the opportunity to mingle with Mexico City's upper class. Adolfo's reputation for predicting the future and offering ritual cleansing became popular with some drug dealers, musicians, and police officers. So... Adolfo is well-respected in Mexico City. He has power and influence. He's like worked himself up from nothing. And he owes it all, or he thinks, to his participation in the occult and Palo Mayombe and Santeria. And also, you know, when he was a child at a very formative age, his step, his second stepfather said to him, hey, like you, he was into the occult and he said, you know, just let non-believers kill themselves with drugs and like be a drug dealer. And like, it doesn't matter. None of this stuff matters. And, you know, like he just kind of had some influences in his life that made him believe that what he was doing was the was right. Was morally justified. Exactly. Exactly. So comparison, you know, Mark Kilroy, the person that I just told you about and Adolfo come from completely different backgrounds. Don't you agree? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So do you think in any case, Adolfo and um, Mark Kilroy could be friends. Would they be friends, you think? Maybe. I think that it would be interesting, though, because it sounds like Kilroy is a pretty staunch practicing Catholic. And then we have someone who may or may not be a leader of a cult. So it seems like they might be right. a little bit... Uh, they would have different, different priorities. Priorities, yeah. Right. So they wouldn't find themselves in the same circles, I Pro- think. Probably not. Right. Okay, so let's introduce you to another person. Okay. Sarah Aldrete. So Sarah is an honors student and a cheerleader at a Texas Southmost college. And Sarah just happened to be the girlfriend of a man named Gilberto Sosa, who was a drug dealer linked to the Hernandez clan, which is a powerful cartel in Mexico City at the time. So our friend Adolfo, the cult leader slash drug dealer who practices Santeria and Palo Mayombe, remember I just told you about him? Mm-hmm. He wants to get involved with this Hernandez clan, um, which is basically just like a drug like gang cartel that's in uh, 
Mexico City. But if you want to get involved with this clan, you can't just like walk into the cartel like trap house and be like, hey guys, I'm a tarot reader. Like let's <laughs> hang out. Like I feel like we have a lot in common. I want to hang out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you're 100% going to get shot in the face before you can even meet the main guy. Like, so he needs an in. He needs an in. So when Sarah Aldrete meets Adolfo in 1987, he knows that Sarah's boyfriend is the gang leader who has ties into this clan. So he's like, sure, yeah, join my cult. Like, welcome, welcome. Mm -hmm. Like, I think it's so cool that you're a fan of me. Like, oh, you have so much talent. You're so beautiful. Like, I am really, you know, I really see a lot in you. And he wants to curry favor in Sarah. So she's beautiful. And he's like, you know what? It would be perfect for you. Um, you should be like the recruiter to this cult because Ooh. you're super beautiful. Like she's a Texas cheerleader honor student, you know? So he plays into her ego and he lets her become the main recruiter to the cult. So she's a cheerleader. She's smart. She's an honor student. She's beautiful. But she's also a ratchet who doesn't give a fuck because let's remember she's dating a drug dealer and working for a cult leader. Right? Hell yeah. So Sarah's physical charm and her attractiveness is a hit with the men because she literally starts luring men into the cult to be sacrificed, sometimes willingly. Jeez. Other times, <laughs> not willingly, she's the bait that gets them abducted and then sacrificed. Terrifying. So how do you think she recruits men to join this cult and willingly get murdered? Like, just take a guess. Um, is she drugging them? No. Is she tell- offering them sex? Nope. She's not seducing them? Nope. I don't know then. She starts by showing them the 1987 thriller film called The Believers, which was about a New York City-based cult that practiced human sacrifice for money and influence. In the movie, people get murked, but they're also like really successful and well-dressed and therefore happy. So I don't know, like worth it, I guess. (laughs) Um, Anyway, Adolfo's members were forced to see the film again and again and again and again and again, just like in a row in order to indoctrinate them into the necessity of human sacrifice. So at this cult, you they would have meetings and parties where they literally just showed that movie, The Believers, again and again. Okay, so they're watching it so many times that now it's burned into their subconscious and they're just accepting everything that happens in the movie as normal. I don't know, but... It sounds like they're preying on people that are looking to belong and they're offering them a place to belong. Right, or was it magic? Oh, that's a good question. Anyway, Adolfo's members were forced to see the film again and again in order to indoctrinate them into the necessity of human sacrifice, right? So now the funny part about this Sarah girl, the recruiter, is that she's like super heavily involved in this cult. She's the number one recruiter. But because she's like a cute little cheerleader over across the border in Texas, the students and teacher at her college in Brownsville they're just like when people ask about her they're like oh she's super friendly she's studious she's like a super into her physical education she shows no signs of abnormal behavior or involvement with a religious cult she's just like a normal girl right Mm mm-hmm but literally, right across the Texas border in Matamoros, Mexico, she's heavily involved in this religious cult and drug smuggling. Um, so some of Sarah's classmates even found it suspicious that she was driving a 1989 vehicle with an embedded telephone and wore all black. <laughs> because, you know, what other college student that's going to a really small community college like has a brand new car with a telephone in it before most people even have cell phones? Yeah, it sounds like back in the day when people had pagers 
And people used to say the only people who can afford pagers are either doctors or drug dealers. Right. But again, it's like, I guess hot people live a different life. Yeah. Makes sense. <laughs> I don't know. So to be clear, in Texas, Sarah is an honor student cheerleader. But 20 minutes south into Mexico, she's fucking a drug lord. And she's the number one recruiter for a religious cult that practices black magic and human sacrifice. Talk about the duality of man. Exactly. So Sarah keeps these two lives separate first years and nobody has a clue what do you think about Sarah would her and Mark Kilroy run into the same circles do you think yeah it kind of sounds like it because on one hand she's living the American dream a cheerleader a good-looking cheerleader honor student right um at a college and Mark Kilroy seems to be uh also kind of a star athlete star student at a college so it right. seems like they might be able to run into each other studying for the MCAT mm-hmm. yeah like it seems like maybe Texas Sarah would meet him but Mexico Sarah the drug smuggler cult recruiter what do you think about her would they meet uh i don't think that mark kilroy would ever run into her in mexico while attending a cult meeting because i don't think mark (laughs) kilroy would voluntarily be at a cult meeting good Alyssa. yeah did i answer correctly yes you did okay (laughs) so the thing that i need to mention about all of this is that the people who buy into adolfo's cult actually believe that adolfo can do magic so I'm not here. This is for the skeptics. Okay. Don't just turn this off. I don't, first of all, I don't know how you got this far along when it's literally (laughs) called let's get haunted. And we've been talking about bullshit for 30 minutes. But uh if you're like, you know what? I don't believe in ghosts. I don't believe in magic. I don't even know how I got here. Don't turn this off because I'm going to just give you a little piece of something to hold on to this. Okay. So I'm not here to say whether or not Adolfo has actual magic, but it kind of seems like he knows actual magic because This man started with nothing, and now he's one of Mexico City's most influential people. He's king of the drug dealers, and he also hangs out with mainstream celebrities, and he also has the cops on his side, so he's literally untouchable. He gets everything he wants. Nobody can punish him because he has the cops on his side, and if the cops get in his way, he just has them killed with magic, which is aka his connections to the cartel and various Mexico City gangs. And I'm like literally even afraid of telling you this story, Alyssa, because I don't want to be in his bad side like that's how scary this man is you will see as i start to tell you the story so whether or not adolfo constanzo is the devil is not relevant because he has the exact same amount of power as the devil has you know Mm -hmm. so then i have to ask you Alyssa, what is the devil in charge of the devil is in charge of evil or where earth yes and where is he in charge of more specifically hell yes Every devil needs a domain. Dun, dun, dun. So Adolfo needs a hell near Matamoros, Mexico. He finds a ranch called Santa Elena, which was owned by this guy named Brigido Hernandez. Remember that name, Hernandez? Yes. That's Sarah's drug dealer, boyfriend's family, friend's clan. Okay. (laughs) So (laughs) Brigido was not a follower of Adolfo Constanzo. However... The sudden death of Saul Hernandez, his family member, in a freak shooting accident prompted him and his brothers to grow closer to rituals and eventually become members of Constanzo's cult. Can a freak shooting accident actually be considered a freak shooting accident if you're actively working for a powerful cartel? I don't think so. (laughs) And which is why Elio, his brother, offered Adolfo Constanzo half of his family's drug proceeds in exchange for his criminal contacts and supernatural protection for his family. Damn. So are you telling me that 
in order to be a well-liked person, you need magic. And that's why I'm not well-liked <laughs> because that makes me feel so much better. Right. It's I mean, not that my personality sucks. It's that I'm not magic. Right. Yeah. So if you look at this from both sides, it's like, you know, this is a super powerful drug cartel family. And then Adolfo's cult is also super powerful drug cartel family. Now, the Hernandez clan is like a competing family with them. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And then all of a sudden, one of their brothers dies. And what do they do? They're like, they run over to the other clan and they say, hey, can you provide us supernatural protection and we'll give you half of our profits? It's almost as if they're like, hey, we'll start doing business for you if you uh, and pay you if you stop killing us or letting us die. Let's join forces instead of being at odds with each other exactly so what do you think of all these things i've told you so far because to me this is like really scary i mean this guy's name is adolf like who why would they do that yeah (laughs) no this is very scary definitely it seems like there is no way to make it out of a situation like that uh in one piece right like there's no way once you're in it you're in too deep it's like how do you even begin extracting yourself from a cult exactly and they'll kill your family members yeah we just saw that happen so um very scary and anytime we talk about black magic on this podcast i immediately get scared it's combining two really scary things which are drug cartels and black magic yeah organized crime and and demon witchcraft right no thanks i'm freaking out let's just like fast forward to a much more chill <laughs> I'm time. really scared to help me <laughs> yeah college spring break uh, it's haunted for a totally different reason. yeah uh-huh yeah it's haunted in the in the drunk poor decision way exactly and boy are you about to hear a bunch of those so time machine fast forward it's march 10th 1989 mark kilroy's childhood friend bradley moore just finished his college exams early at texas a&m university With his test behind him and a week off ahead of him, Bradley drives to Austin to pick Mark up from UT. Both of them then head to Santa Fe to pick up their other two friends, Bill Huddleston and Brent Martin, before heading to South Padre Island, Texas for spring break. Now, Alyssa, do you know what South Padre Island, Texas is like? No, I have never been there. It might as well be that bad kid island from Pinocchio. It's it's literally like spring break at South Padre Island is where Girls Gone Wild started. Really? Yes. So if you guys don't know what Girls Gone Wild is, Alyssa, you want to tell people oh, what it is? Oh, hell yeah, I do. Girls Gone Wild was a uh, show that I believe was sold on VHS tape in adult shops and also maybe on TV at one time, but it was censored. And it's basically where the skeezy dude and a camera um, get drunk girls at spring break to take their tops off for money. Right. And they're very inebriated. Yes. Yes. Very inebriated. Yes. Like it would not fly into daytime. It, it was it was definitely during the time of like um, anything I say is not going to be good right now. But like <laughs> it's definitely the time where like there was not a lot of awareness. The Me Too movement had absolutely not right. come to fruition yet. Like nobody was understanding that that's not OK to do. Right. Like nobody thought it was a bad idea to get eight, to go to a place where 18 year old girls are drunk and offer them money to take their top off on camera. And then possibly have sex with them while they're so inebriated that like the consent isn't even. Yeah. And like yeah. they're signing these consent forms when they're wasted. Exactly. Yeah. Right. 
Um, okay. So after a foggy nine hour drive to South Texas, the boys arrive at South Padre Island shortly before midnight. They check in at the Sheraton hotels and resorts the next morning before heading to the beach. So keep in mind, they get there at midnight and then they're like, this is a nine hour drive with four dudes. It's midnight. They arrive after nine fucking hours and they're like, fuck it. Let's get some beach time. Like this is the beginning of spring break. It's it like that's what I need everyone to understand. If you've never done American spring break in college, it's absolutely nuts. It's basically just like a time to act like absolute idiot children for seven days straight and like make horrible decisions like take your top off on film and it's like fine because it's spring break right yeah it's it's college is already like a fantasy land which we've talked about before on this podcast american college american college yes. um but then combining frat that like college atmosphere with essentially a non-stop frat culture for a week yes yeah so the boys are in the party zone you know and then when they first get there, it's like not even that crazy because it's the beginning of spring break. So there's not that many people around. It's like kind of all the early people because they finished their exams early and drove down right away. Mm -hmm. There's people coming from all over the country to South Padre Island. Like it's a spring break destination. So if you live over in Michigan or Kansas, like you're not going to fly out or drive out on the same day. It might take you a couple days to get out. So as, um, so as the weekend progresses, thousands of students from the entire U.S. were beginning to arrive. Beer sponsors are staging like events. There's free movies. There's concerts. There's surf simulator things. It's like opportunities to appear on TV commercials. It was kind of like MTV spring break situation. Okay. Kilroy and Moore made free phone calls to their parents that day. And then later that evening, they met a group of female students from Purdue University in Indiana. And they partied until the next morning. Kilroy and his friends start developing a routine over their spring break. And it goes like this. In the morning, they go to the beach and lay out. Then they get lunch. Then after lunch, they go to the daily Miss Tanline contest. That's literally <laughs> sponsored by their hotel. So it's like, it's so easy for them to just have this life right now. So they go to the Tanline contest and then they take a nap. Now, on this particular day, it's been a couple days into their trip, and they're like, you know what? Let's spice it up. They decide that they want to go to Mexico, which is not that crazy because it's just like right over the border. Like you can drive 15 minutes to get to Mexico. Mm -hmm. And keep in mind, these kids are not 21. You have to be 21 to drink in the United States. And they it's their spring break. And if they just drive 20 minutes away to Mexico, the drinking age is 18, and they also don't enforce it that well. So like... Yeah, and stuff's cheaper there. Stuff's cheaper, and it just makes more sense as a college student wants Wanting to get the most bang for your buck to do it and they're not alone there's lots of people who are doing it so Kilroy being the planner he is wakes up from his nap after the Miss Tanline contest rallies and begins planning a trip to fucking Mexico they leave the South Padre Island and they have dinner at a Sonic drive-in which is in Port Isabel Texas which is just like really close to the border. Okay. And then at the Sonic, Kilroy and his friends meet a group of female students from University of Canvas who are also planning to party in Mexico as well. So the women then follow Moore's car from the Sonic in Port Isabel to Brownsville because remember this is before texting. So if they lose these guys, they're just like gone forever, which is probably why everyone back then just seems so much more impulsive because it's like, okay, if we don't go party with these cute girls we saw at Sonic right now, we might never see them again. Uh huh. 
So they just followed them in the car. Um, I'm just only trying to reiterate that there's no cell phones at this time. Everyone is like kind of just in a like party, like go mood or whatever, because like that's just how 1989 Texas is, I guess. So the girls in the group and Mark's group parked their cars close to the Gateway International Bridge and then they crossed the U.S.-Mexico border by foot. Kilroy's friends and the Kansas women go to Sergeant Pepper's nightclub in Matamoros, <laughs> and then the groups went their separate ways. Kilroy and his friends then returned to South Padre Island early the next morning. Normal, right? Everything's fine. Yeah. So they basically are like, oh, Mexico, it's like, it's safe. It's cool. Everything's good. So it's March 13th now, the next day. The sun comes up. Kilroy and his friends do their daily routine. The sun, the partying, lunch, Miss Hamlet contest behind their hotel. Then... They uh, take a little nap, and this time Kilroy goes to meet with one of his former frat brothers that's at a condo uh, party. At around 10.30 p.m., Kilroy and his friends are like, what time is it? Do you know what time it is? Party time. Mexico time. Oh. Let's try it again. 10.30 p.m., Mark Kilroy and his friends are like, what time is it? Time to go to Mexico. Mexico time. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) okay they didn't actually say that but i feel like they did because that's what i would do if i was like a frat boy in texas in 1989 Mm -hmm. you know so anyways they go back to matamoros and they park on the border and they cross by foot again normal everything's fine now this night though is different than all of the other nights before because spring break is in full swing now it's the weekend and matamoros is flooded with 15,000 spring breakers tourists from the u.s um and everywhere else on the city's main tourist street, which is called Alvaro Obregón. And the sidewalks, the street, the nightclubs, everything's packed. It's like people want to enjoy the cheap alcohol. They want to have the lax drinking laws. You can only imagine what it's like to have a bunch of probably underage college students in Mexico mm-hmm. walking around like it's pandemonium. So um, debauchery, basically. So everything is packed, people everywhere, lines everywhere. Like this is not the Matamoros that they came to last night where they got into the best club with four dudes right away, right? Right. So naturally, Kilroy and his friends are like, uh, this sucks. We're four dudes deep. We're not going to get into anywhere and we want to like talk to girls and party. What do we do? So they go to the bar with the shortest waiting line. Mark and his friends ended up at Los Sombreros, which had the shortest line. It's a bar with rock music and bright neon. So it's a dive bar, basically. And then after a few drinks, they leave and they go to Los Sombreros and then they go to London Pub, which had had rebranded itself as the Hard Rock Cafe for spring break. This is not the actual Hard Rock Cafe, but it's Mexico. So they're like, fuck it. There's no trademark infringement. Exactly. So this bar, the fake Hard Rock Cafe, was louder and wilder than Los Sombreros. Like while they're standing in line, other beer, uh, other tourists are throwing beer and alcohol from the balcony and like dancing. So at this Hard Rock Cafe, Kilroy met with a few women at the bar and he wasn't seen by his friends for a while. Totally normal if you go to a club. Mm -hmm. And then at two o'clock a.m., Huddleston suggested that they all go back to South Padre Island. They're like, it's closing time. Let's pack up. Let's go. As his friends stepped out of London pub, they see Kilroy leaning against a car and talking to a woman from Miss Tanline. Okay. Now, she's probably smoking hot, obviously. 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 
And they've been the part of their like spring break routine is they watch this Miss Tanline thing when they're drunk, like every day at noon. So the images of these beautiful women are probably burned into their minds. Mm -hmm. And so when you see one of those women, you're like, oh, I know you. And you were kind of drunk. That's like basically seeing like a famous person. Uh huh. So he goes up and he starts talking to her. Then the Alvaro Obregón, the tourist street that they're on, everyone's leaving. It's pandemonium. People are leaving the bars and heading back across the border to Brownsville. But there's also other groups heading in different directions. So there's just a bunch of groups of people going in different directions. It's drunk people at 2 a.m. in Mexico on spring break on spring break basically so there's like the crowds of people make it really difficult for Kilroy and his friends to walk across the border uninterrupted and in a group so they can't exactly see him the entire time and he can't see them the entire time but they're like we think he's talking to that hot girl miss tanline so like we're not gonna cock block it yeah that makes sense so Moore and Martin separate from the group and walk to Garcia's, which is a popular restaurant store close to the border um, because drunchies, right? Mm-hmm. And then Kuroi stopped at the steps of a house on, Alvarar, on Alvaro Obregón to say goodbye to the woman from Miss Tanline. Now we can only assume that because he's saying goodbye to her on a steps that's at a house on this tourist street in Matamoros. She's probably lives there in Mexico or maybe? staying there for spring break or right. something or is staying there for spring break. Now it's several days into the spring break bender. So the men aren't exactly thinking as clearly as they were at the beginning of this trip. Plus, they have a routine that mm-hmm. hasn't failed them yet. Like every single day they've done the same things. They've even gone to Mexico before and it was totally fine. Yeah. So Mark says bye to the Miss Tanline girl and then he waits for Huddleston to walk towards him but there's like so many people. So Huddleston then runs to a nearby alley to urinate while Kilroy is waiting for them. By the time Huddleston came out and caught up to the other two near Garcia's, Kilroy had vanished. His friends searched for him for hours even after the establishments had closed and the streets had cleared at around 4.30 a.m. They then crossed the border thinking Kilroy might have crossed to Brownsville, Texas and was perhaps waiting for their by the parked car, which is totally normal when you lose uh-huh. your friends. And his friends didn't find them near the car. Obviously, this is before cell phones to keep in mind. They waited a few minutes in Brownsville before returning to South Padre Island. They figured, you know what? It's empty here. There's nobody. We waited by the car. We didn't see him. Maybe he got he went to a hotel with Miss Tanline. Yeah. Maybe that happened. You know, mm-hmm. that's very plausible. And then they woke up the next day at the hotel and his whereabouts were still unknown. They were thinking he's going to show up there. He didn't. So then they contact the police and they report him as missing. And I can only imagine how hard that decision would be because... I mean, especially when you're a kid, you don't want to get your friend in trouble. He's underage. He's drinking. He's participating in premarital sex and possibly, I mean, we don't know if people were doing drugs, but that's a very popular pastime in college and especially at spring break. Right. So you don't necessarily want to alert someone's parents or alert the police. Oh, my friend is doing all this shit that he shouldn't be doing. Right. Exactly. So the search for Kilroy initially just begins as a routine missing persons investigation. Students are reported missing in Matamoros all the time and they often just end up turning up the next day like just hung over and like blacked out right and Kilroy was literally one of 60 people who had disappeared in Matamoros in the first three months of 1989 however his case drew more attention in the U.S. because his uncle Ken Kilroy worked at the United States Customs Service in LA and when the news reached his uncle his uncle was like no fuck this like I know about what what goes on in that you know in Matamoros I know all about this and so a police task force was created in Brownsville to search for Kilroy 
Alarmed with the bad publicity of his disappearance and the potential effects of tourism in Matamoros, the local police officers in Matamoros tried to shift the blame and suggested that Kilroy had disappeared in Brownsville, Texas. But Kilroy's friends were like, no, 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 that didn't happen. And then finally, the Mexican federal police are like, oh, OK, fine. His friends are saying that didn't happen. OK, well, then we're going to help the U.S. investigators on this case. <laughs> and then one of the commanders assigned Mexican agents to U.S. officials to accompany them in Matamoros and then together with the Mexican police they questioned informants potential witnesses and worked on tips provided by their sources but both the Mexican and U.S. authorities suspected that Kilroy's disappearance involved foul play and they speculated that Kilroy was a victim of drug-related violence uh, or robbery killing but they were short on leads to make any firm conclusions and remember the police there are in adolfo's back pocket so even if they find any information like they're the, gonna go to adolfo first they're gonna go to adolfo or they're not gonna tell the this mexican task like police force or whatever mm-hmm. you know they're gonna cover it up so um like even if it is just good cops trying to protect Matamoros, if they sell out any of these powerful criminals, they're immediately putting themselves and their families in danger. So yeah, they're, they're just gonna not going to do it. So some of these cops might even be a part of the cult and they just don't want to get murdered for being a part of the cult or they just don't want to get murdered. So they join the cult and maybe they are good cops, but it's like this guy's so powerful. Like, what are you going to do? There's no mm-hmm. escape, right? So nobody's going to snitch. When Kilroy's friends reported the disappearance, customs agents went with them to Matamoros to help retrace their steps. Texan officials contacted the U.S. consulate in Matamoros and asked investigators to carry out a search with Kilroy's description in Matamoros jails and hospitals. So now they can't find Kilroy. Plus, they were super drunk and everyone's confused and they don't know. You know, it's really hard now. Like you think you saw your friend and now he might be like murdered somewhere and you don't know and you're scared and you're like, well, maybe I did miss something. So they agreed to have hypnosis. And under hypnosis, the investigators get some extra info out of them. Under hypnosis, Moore states that he saw a young Hispanic man wearing a blue plaid shirt with a visible scar across his face talking to Kilroy before he disappeared. He recalled that the man walked up to Kilroy and told him, hey, don't I know you from somewhere? Though Huddleston said that he was not sure if Kilroy responded back. However, none of their friends were able to precisely recall the exact moment or place where Kilroy disappeared. Investigators deduced by this story that Kilroy was kidnapped for robbery or ransom. The first option seemed more likely because his abductors hadn't called for a payment. So then they just believed that his body was like dumped in a remote or in a remote location somewhere. Helicopters and terrain vehicles of the United States Border Patrol were called to look out on the Rio Grande River, but his body was never found. So basically his friends are saying, "Okay, well, maybe maybe there was a man involved. Maybe it wasn't. He was just talking to Miss Tanline, but we didn't remember like that thing about the guy saying, hey, don't I know you were from somewhere because it didn't seem important at the time. Right. But under hypnosis, they were able to recall it. Right. Under hypnosis, they were able to recall it. So this is the sad thing is that during this investigation, Kilroy's parents are obviously really upset, right? Of course. So they head to the Rio Grande Valley and they circulate out more than 20,000 handouts and they offer a $15,000 reward to anyone who could help locate their son. They met with all of these important people like the attorney general and the Texas governor and the U.S. senator to assist them in the case. Texas officials told Kilroy's parents that they were planning to talk to the um, governor 
in uh, that state in Mexico and get people from Matamoros more involved with their son's disappearance. But nobody's talking because they don't want to snitch. Yeah. Right. So then this is when the U.S. authorities start suspecting that maybe the local Matamoros authorities are crooked because they're not helping them. So um, this whole thing gets kind of elevated because now this task force is like, okay, something's really going on here. If people are not telling us what really happened, there must be something way more. There must be something way bigger than just this kid. This went must missing. go one deeper. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So on March 26th, two weeks after Kilroy went missing, the case was highlighted on the case was highlighted on national television on the crime show America's Most Wanted. This gave the case nationwide attention and generated several phone calls and letters with people giving clues on Kilroy's whereabouts. However, the police stated that none of the leads generated were solid enough to pursue. A few days later, Kilroy's parents returned to Santa Fe. Santa Fe residents raised money through garage sales and car washes to help Kilroy's family continue their search. In addition, Kilroy's parents went to the University of Texas at Austin to withdraw their son from school. That's like so heartbreaking to me. Yeah, you know? that's, that's super sad. It's almost like you're giving up hope. It's so sad. On April 1st, 1989, Mexican state authorities were stationed at a routine checkpoint near Santa Elena, which is where that ranch I told you about is located, when they saw a vehicle that ran through the checkpoint without stopping. The vehicle had crossed the international border from Texas and sped through the Mexican Federal Highway. The man driving the vehicle was named Serafin. Instead of turning on their police sirens, the police decided to follow the truck using an unmarked vehicle. So now they've wised up. They're like, okay, we nobody's talking about this. So we have to go undercover mm-hmm. in order to figure out what's happening because even some of the cops are crooked. Good for them. I know. It's finally, they're getting their shit together. Finally, they're Liam Neesoning. I know. Yeah. Right? This is like, thank you. Finally, yeah. Liam Neeson. You're about, you know what? If you guys have been super sad so far, you're about to get a lot happier and then a little more sad and then a lot happier and then a lot more sad. And then, <laughs> well, just hang on. Okay. This is Liam Neeson behavior though because they don't have a plan. They just see the suspicious vehicle. They're right. fucking tired of waiting for people to give them tips and they're like you know what we're just gonna follow and see where this goes yes yeah exactly so the cops are led to this ranch and then they pull off at a distance they're spying after about 30 minutes Sadafine took off from the ranch and then headed back to the city so they see this car go into this ranch 30 minutes and then comes back out the officers decide to make their move on the ranch because the car is left In a quick search, like these people, fucking these cops are awesome. In a quick search, the police discovered cult paraphernalia and marijuana traces. Instead of arresting Seraphine, the man who was driving the truck, the police decided to continue gathering more evidence on the suspected criminal activities at the ranch and then the and the organized crime members involved with the Hernandez family. They used informants in Matamoros to inquire on family activities at Santa Elena in order to make a series of crucial arrests. So this is like when you think your boyfriend is cheating on you. And the only way to find out is to play dumb and you have to like act super normal so he doesn't know anything's up and hide all the evidence. And then you find all the evidence and you can serve him. 
Yes, I agree with that. <laughs> Wait till he's asleep. Go into his phone. Don't when you're taking the screenshots, you don't want to text them to yourself because that leaves a trail. Right. What you want to do is airdrop them. And then you're gonna delete the screenshots from his camera roll. Then go into <laughs> recently deleted and make sure you're also deleting it from there so that there's no evidence left. Continue doing that no matter how pissed off you are until you've gathered months of evidence. Right. Then drop be- it on him all at once. Because his stupid narcissistic ass is going to deny that shit when you give it up yes. to him and gaslight you and make you feel stupid and you will continue to stay in that relationship and he will just get smarter about hiding the evidence because now he knows you're on to him. Exactly. So you need to gather so much shit that there's no way that he can make up excuses mm-hmm. for every single scenario that you've caught him in. And because then, if you only if you confront him after only one scenario, that's when he's going to gaslight you and be like, no, that was actually my cousin that I was helping her. She right. had a bee sting in her throat was closing and I had to give her mouth to mouth until the paramedics got there. But if you catch him with 17 cousins, quote unquote, now you've got him. And the best part about all of this, which could just be a fun little thing you can do to yourself, is to act like you don't know Mm -hmm. and continue having him dig himself a hole so that later you can be like, oh, so you're telling me right now that last Friday um, you got a flat tire and this person helped you at 7-Eleven. Well, that's really weird because how come (laughs) uh, this text was sent at this time to this person? who is clearly saved in your phone as a name that she not actually is named. Clearly, we've been through this, guys. Well, how can you say that you had a flat tire on the side of the 126 when this whole time I've had you on Fine Friends and I have a timestamp <laughs> screenshot of you in Ohio? Yes. Yes. Wow. The pain it took to get to this place, Alyssa. Is I feel this toxic? For you. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Just leave. You don't Just have leave. to confront people when they fuck with you. Just leave. Just leave. Um, so on the 9th of April, the cops return with several other policemen and they, because now at this point they've used informants, they've been like, Hey, your guys are friends. Can you go in there and just like see what they're doing on Thursday? You know, like they're like gathering the evidence and they get enough evidence that they can now go in and fucking take care of business. So on April 9th, the police with several other policemen arrest Sarah Finn, his uncle Elio cult members David Serna Valdez and Sergio Martinez Salinas and Domingo Reyes Bustamante, the ranch's caretaker. While in custody, the detainees are very relaxed. They because they know they're going to they're fine. You yeah, know? they're sent to prison while the police interrogated a caretaker at the ranch. The person revealed to the police that the ranch had frequent visitors from the Seraphine's criminal group. The ranch's caretaker identified Kilroy through a photograph and stated that he actually did see him at the ranch. Yeah, the caretaker told the police, I saw him. And then he pointed to a shack at the ranch. When the police interrogated Seraphine and separately, he confessed to aiding in Kilroy's murder. Mm. He also told the police that several other people were killed over the course of several months at Santa Elena. Serafine then identified Adolfo Constanzo and Sarah Aldrete as the heads of the group. He said that Constanzo had ordered the slayings as part of a sacrificial ritual. Remember, Constanzo believes that by sacrificing his victims, those doing the sacrifice were ensured strength, abundance, and immunity from law enforcement and injury. So it would make sense that while all these people get detained and put into prison, they're super relaxed because they think nothing's going to happen to them. Yeah, because they have contacts in high places. And they've historically gotten away with all this shit. 
and perhaps magic and immunity. Mm -hmm. Specifically, he said that Kilroy was chosen at random because Constanzo had ordered his men to find a white Anglo male gringo to sacrifice. He said that Kilroy was killed by Constanzo with a machete blow to his head and that the body was buried at the ranch. Serafine agreed to take the police to the exact spot where Kilroy was buried, which was marked by a piece of wire coming out of the dirt. He stated that the wire was attached to Kilroy's spinal cord so that they would be able to pull out the bones and wear them as necklaces after the body had decomposed. That's metal. What do you think of that? Fucking horrific. Terrifying. Right. So Heartbreaking. If you, so if you're a cop and you have spent all this time investigating this shit and then someone comes clean and they tell you that, how do you think you react? I think I would react skeptically until I saw the evidence with my own two eyes. Which is exactly what they did. They were fucking pissed. This is what makes me like these cops finally. On April 11th, the police took Seraphine and four other suspects to Santa Elena and asked Seraphine to show the police where Kilroy and others' remains were kept. That afternoon, they were forced at gunpoint to spend several hours digging up the graves. Once Kilroy's corpse had been exhumed, the police observed that his legs were missing. Oh, Sadafine shit. explained that the amputations were not a procedure of the ritual, but were done to simplify the burial. After the excavation it concluded, the suspects had earthed 15 mutilated bodies, including Kilroy's. Oh, my God. All males who had been killed over a period of nine months. Wow. Kilroy's corpse was officially identified after the Brownsville police matched his dental records with the teeth found at the scene. Investigators concluded that most of the victims were rival drug dealers of Constanzo and not random sacrificial victims of the cult. Three out of the 15 bodies were never identified. At Santa Elena, the Mexican police also seized 110 kilograms or 243 pounds of marijuana, 108 grams of cocaine, 12 firearms, including three submachine guns, and 11 vehicles, some equipped equipped with telephones like Sara Adrete had driven. Inside an iron pot, investigators discovered remains of a human brain, a goat's head, chicken feet, a turtle, several herbs, a horseshoe, and coins mixed with animal blood. They found no signs of cannibalism. On April 12th, the detainees were taken to the headquarters of the Mexican Federal Judicial Police in Matamoros for an informal press conference. More than 250 international journalists arrived to the scene to take pictures and ask them questions. The four suspects were being paraded from the building's balcony and were allowed to answer questions from reporters. Elio, one of Hernandez brothers that was owning the ranch, Mm -hmm. stated that he was an ordained executioner under Adolfo Constanzo and that Kilroy was murdered by Constanzo. As the camera zoomed in on the suspects, Elio showed his membership scars on his shoulders, his back and his arms and chest. There were arrow like cuts made with a hot blade. The marks were given to selected cult members with the authority to perform human sacrifice what do you think of this i'm terrified i never want to meet any of these people ever this is horrific they're just like not only gangsters they're also they're so scary because they also believe that this is like part of something that god wants them to do almost yeah you know yeah people who believe that the power of god is on their side are very scary to me because you can justify almost anything if you just believe that you're serving a higher power to do it. I am so glad that you said that because that's one of the things that I want to talk about is the difference between 
how different people believe that God is on their side, mm-hmm. right? So we've seen how these cult members think that their God is on their side. Right. Now, what do you think Kilroy's parents, who just discovered that their son that they've been searching for has actually been brutally murdered and this like human sacrifice... I think they're doing. extremely angry and I think they want justice and they want these, they, I'm sure they want the same thing that happened to their son to happen to the, these people. So here, let me tell you what they're doing because you will be very surprised. Okay. On April 13th, a religious ceremony that was initially intended to revive hope for Kilroy's safe return was turned into a memorial service a day after his body was discovered. The service was held at Our Lady of Lords Catholic Church in Santa Fe where the family had attended many years. Many local residents attended the service and about 150 children pinned yellow ribbons outside the church's trees to rally in favor of Kilroy. After the ceremony, Kilroy's friends stated that they wished they had stayed in Texas to party instead of going to Mexico. At St. Luke Catholic Church in Brownsville, over 1,200 people attended the memorial service to support his parents. Several of the attendees wore the yellow Miss You Mark ribbons on them and waited in line after the service was over to express their condolences to Kilroy's parents. The Kilroy family showed deep faith and conviction while speaking to the press. Kilroy's father spoke out about the murder and told the press that they were not angry with the killers. He hoped that when those responsible for Kilroy's death go to heaven and see their son, they can apologize to him for their wrongdoing. Killer Kilroy's mother told the others to pray for the murderers. That is a fucking good Christian woman. Yeah. That's, that's not being hypocritical about your religion. I would not be able to do the same. I'm telling you right now, if somebody brutally murdered one of my relatives, I would be so angry. So good for them for being able to, find a way to turn something so horrible into an opportunity, a learning opportunity for others to see how you can choose to react to situations because I would absolutely not be able to make that choice and I really admire them for that. It gets even better. On April 15th, two days after they have this memorial service for their son, two days after their son's funeral, you know, the Kilroy's parents meet with the president at the time, George H.W. Bush, and when, uh, William Bennett, who was the head of the Office of the National Drug Control Policy, and Kilroy's parents tell the politicians that for every drug consumer, there is a victim who suffers from their addiction. In addition, Kilroy's parents stated that drug consumption should be treated with better education and that the use of drugs, even casually, causes suffering. Bush described the case as very sensitive and Bennett stated that Kilroy's murder was a mourned nationwide, but that the parents were able to turn their suffering into a very good effort. After the meeting, the parents stated that although Bush and Bennett Bennett were not specific on the actions their administration would take to fight drugs and enforce it at a local, state, and federal level, they were satisfied that the government is looking in the right direction. They praise the effort. They praise the efforts of the government in asking citizens what could be done to improve their country. Kilroy's father concluded that change required the government to do its part, but that it also required every citizen of the country to put their effort in to make it happen. Oh my God, these people are saints. They go to meet with the president of the United States and the head of this drug control policy, and they have a meeting with them and that the president's like, hey, I understand what you guys are saying, that we need to control drugs because they're saying 
look, our son was a victim of this drug trafficking mm-hmm. thing that's going on. And so we need to better control drug problem, you know? Mm-hmm. And Bush is like, it's really sensitive. You know, we can't really just do it like that right away. And they're like, even after then, they don't get pissed. They're like, you know what? We're really satisfied that the government is heading in the right direction. Mm-hmm. And our citizens have to do their part to not take illegal drugs and not endorse this kind of behavior. Like these people are just the like they're just the absolute most classy, beautiful, like aspirational people I've heard of. Yeah, they're trying to do what they think is right to in order to prevent something like this from happening to other people's children whether or not you agree with whatever legislation they wanted passed doesn't really matter because the point is that they're not angry with anyone and they're just doing what they think is best right they say you know people suffer from the illegal drug trafficking Mm -hmm. that's it so Two weeks after the bodies were exhumed from Santa Elena, the Mexican federal police returned to the ranch early in the morning to burn down the shack and lay a wooden cross above the ashes. Reportedly, the police took a curandero, which is a folk healer, to purify the shack before burning it down. The curandero went inside the house, said a few prayers, sprinkled the floor with salt, and concluded by making the sign of the cross. The policemen then proceeded to spray gasoline around the shack before setting it on fire. The Mexican government offered no official explanation to their actions, but a source close to the investigation stated that the police's motives were supernatural in nature. They said that they knew the shack meant a lot to Constanzo and burning it would make him go insane. Quote, we would hit him where it hurts, the police said. The next morning, Constanzo reportedly went into a rage after the arson was shown on national television. Here... Now, like here, these people are doing what the average person would do after you find out someone did some stuff you really fucking hate. Right. They went and made it personal. Enact revenge. Exactly. They enacted revenge. Mm-hmm. And um, I, you know, and also there's like a little bit of like the, the thing about them saying, oh, maybe this was uh, superstitious. It makes you wonder, too, like, are these cops burning it down because they want to make Constanzo upset or are these cops burning it down because they're like, oh, this didn't work and it's bad luck and we were in the cult, too. So now we have to burn this. Oh, interesting. I don't know. So now you guys have heard about this horrible tragedy, this atrocity. You guys have heard about how the parents are dealing with it. And I want to just finish this up and just show you guys how everything was resolved-ish, sort of. So if you think it's been wild up until now, fucking hang tight because it is not over. Fucking buckle your haunted ass seatbelt. Yes. We're going on a ride. So now they've busted the main members of this cult and they found these bodies and they have all the evidence that they need. So a manhunt for the cult members starts. By murdering Kilroy, Adolfo Constanzo prompted the downfall of his cult. He attracted international attention and forced the Mexican government to focus their efforts on bringing him and those involved to justice. On on the 11th of April, 1989, the day the bodies were exhumed from Santa Elena, Constanzo fled to a Holiday Inn in Brownsville before flying from McAllen, Texas to Mexico City, where he had an apartment. He escaped with Sarah Aldrete, Martin Quintana Rodriguez, Omar Francisco Orea Ocoa, and Alvaro de Leon Valdez, which was known as El Dubi. 
the U.S. and Mexican law enforcement agencies carried out an international manhunt to locate Constanzo and the rest of his cult members. The police believed that Constanzo had possibly fled to Miami to visit his mother, but Constanzo opted for a Mexico City where he hid with several of his cult followers for short periods of time. Rumors began to surface that Constanzo was seen in Chicago, Illinois. Other rumors suggested that Aldrete was spotted in schools throughout the Rio Grande Valley and that she had vowed to kidnap children for every jailed cult member. A convenience store clerk in Clovis, New Mexico, called the police and told them that he had seen a couple matching the description of Constanzo and Aldrete stopping at his store to purchase something. According to investigators, Constanzo was last seen driving a 1989 Mercedes-Benz in Brownsville, Texas. In Matamoros, law enforcement raided Aldrete's house where they discovered an altar and several religious images. They also stated that the house's interior was covered in blood. Ew. In the Cameron County Sheriff's Office, authorities released a wanted poster of Constanzo stating that he was extremely dangerous and indicted him and Adrete for aggravated kidnapping. Both were also indicted by a state jury in McAllen, along with 11 other cult members from Constanzo's organization for importing marijuana, conspiracy to import marijuana, conspiracy to possess with the intent of distributing and possession with the intent of distributing basically drug dealer stuff cameron county officials also issued arrest warrants for the other cult members who were at large although none of the leads prov proved successful the police encouraged citizens to continue helping them in their search on the 17th of april seraphine the guy that was driving the truck a brownsville native was arrested in houston by the dea and texas department of public safety agents federal charges were filed against him for importing marijuana possession and conspiracy two other men implicated with him were the were the Quitana Rodriguez and Ponce Torres, who were both Mexican citizens and members of the cult. As the police searched his Houston home, they seized cash and weapons, but found no evidence of cult paraphernalia or leads po pointing to Constanzo. They have to, they, like, the problem is now that they have all these bodies and they have all this stuff, it's just word of mouth that Constanzo has this cult, that he has all of this stuff, that he's this drug dealer. They don't have any evidence and they have to have evidence, otherwise they can't bring his ass down. That makes sense. Yes. So Houston police believe that Constanzo is probably hiding in Houston because he was linked to a $20 million failed cocaine operation <laughs> that was busted there in June of 1988. When the house was raided, investigators found ritualistic candles, an altar, and paperwork with Rivera's name on it. The police believed that Constanzo bought several properties across Houston in the past and were investigating if he had visited any of his alleged hangouts. Seraphine Sr. cooperated with the U.S. officials and was sentenced to 18 months in prison. He was released in June of 1990 and returned to Brownsville, which fucking sucks because this guy literally drove Mark Kilroy and probably 15 other people to their death yeah and participated in this cult that exemplified human ritualistic murder and they because they don't have enough evidence he just went to jail for 18 months god that's so frustrating so frustrating on April 17th in Mexico City, the police raided one of Constanzo's property in Atizapan. They discovered piles of homosexual pornography 
and a hidden ritual chamber <laughs> with an altar. Sorry, it's like, it's just so funny. Of course, in the 80s, this would be relevant. Like, I know. Not only did we find drugs and drug paraphernalia and but human bones and blood, but homosexual pornography. Right. Well, that comes into play later. Okay. You'll find out. So they find homosexual pornography in a hidden ritual chamber with an altar. This prompted the police to question people in Mexico City's homosexual community to see if they had any leads on Constanzo's whereabouts. The Mexican police stated that no evidence was found at the scene to link Constanzo or his men to any murders committed there. They said that they saw the altars and other ritualistic belongings, but didn't find any tracing of blood. So still, it's like, okay, you got weird shit in your house and it looks scary, but we can't do anything about it. Right, but it's not illegal to have weird shit in your house. Exactly. (laughs) No men were arrested at the scene but the police managed to arrest a lady called maria teresa quintana rodriguez who was the sister of one of constanzo's lovers and henchmen the police also discovered that aldrete's purse and other belongings were left behind which prompted them to conclude that constanzo probably murdered her because she knew too much about the inner workings of his cult group the police stated that they did not see aldrete with the group when they arrived in mexico city they thought that constanzo might have buried her somewhere in the city so at this point, they think that Sarah Aldrete is dead. They found her like person belongings and stuff at this random house that's been linked to him. So they just assume that she's dead and he like got rid of her because she knew too much. So authorities in the U.S., though, however, believed that she purposely left her belongings behind to confuse the investigators and make it appear that she was dead, which oh. would be a smart move right now since right. they're on a manhunt for her. And on April 24th, the police arrested Victor Manuel Altunez Flores and Salvador Antonio Antonio Villaluez, who were hiding in one of Constanzo's property in the Juarez neighborhood. Um, So basically, they're finding all of these like kind of like petty theft type people, Mm -hmm. but they know that they're probably involved with much bigger thing. And they're using these like petty theft things to get them to go into jail or so that they can question them. But then the people aren't snitching. So it's just like this is a fucking if you've seen Sicario, this is Sicario. I have seen Sicario. Yes, this is literally Sicario. It's like a tangled nightmare web of fucked up crazy shit. Trying to catch little fish to get to the big fish. Exactly. Yes. So now finally it's culminating let me tell you what happens to this motherfucker ken stanzo what do you want to happen to him i don't need any bad karma (laughs) on my mind i'm not gonna go on the record i want him to also do that after he's been murdered Yeah, yeah um okay so the mexico city police department noticed that the matamoros killings were similar to murders carried out in mexico city between 1987 and 1989 After consulting local witchcraft practitioner and sorcerers, the police heard that Constanzo was probably hiding out in one of the city's boroughs. So they, the police wise up and they're like, you know what? What should we do? Let's go talk to these fucking tarot readers. Yeah, witch doctors. Witch doctors and be like, do you guys know where the fuck he is? And they're like, oh yeah, that guy? That, yeah, yeah, we we can help you. Mm -hmm. So they found him. Another contact told the police that there was an address of interest in one of the neighborhoods in this city. The police department sent 16 officers to search the area. At a supermarket, they interrogated a shoemaker who claimed to have seen a woman who matched Sarah Aldrete's description. The police then spotted a man at the supermarket who was attempting to buy large amounts of groceries with U.S. dollars. They followed the man and saw that he was living in an apartment on Rio Sena. 
By the end of the week, the police concluded that the man was De Leon and that he was buying groceries for Constanzo. So Constanzo is hiding out and he's having his henchmen go into this grocery store and the police who have been like spying and looking and trying to find out where he is for such a long time go to this grocery store. I don't know how they found it. You know how they found it? They found it through a fucking witch doctor. Yeah. And then they see a shoemaker and they're like, man, can you help us? And he's like, actually, yeah, this is crazy. So on May 6th, 1989, the police surrounded the building where they thought Constanzo was and waited for traffic to subside before raiding the premises. However, a black vehicle pulled up in the front of the apartment complex and the police walked over to investigate. Constanzo, who was actually there, noticed the police from the window of his apartment and opened fire at the officers who were on the ground level. Constanzo threw golden coins and paper money from the window and then burned some of his money on a stove as the police were starting to storm his apartment. So that sounds like ritual magic. That sounds fucking weird, but you know what it was? Huh? I'm going to tell you. Okay. So he, Constanzo eventually runs out of ammunition and begins to lose his patience. After about 45 minutes, the standoff with police, where he's just firing out of his window and throwing money and cursing them and burning his money on the stove... He's worried of his imminent capture. He orders De Leon to kill him and Quintana Rodriguez, the cult members that are there. De Leon, the guy that was buying the groceries at the grocery store, who's his henchman, hesitated. He's like, I don't want to kill you. You're my cult leader. Yeah. And then Constanzo hits him in the face and tells them that he will suffer in hell if he doesn't do as, as he commanded. Then Constanzo hugs Quintana Rodriguez. They hug each other. Oh, because they're lovers. I don't know. Oh. Are they? Why don't you said? Oh, that they might have been yeah, lovers. Yes, you said that he was lovers with that girl's brother. Right. Yeah, I just thought that they were hugging because it was like a dramatic way to die. But you're right. And De Leon stood in front of them before he opened fire and killed the two with a submachine gun that was hidden inside a closet. <gasps> When the police climbed up the stairs and made it to Constanzo's smoke-filled apartment, Sarah Aldrete ran from the door screaming that Constanzo was dead. So they fucking found the lair. Yeah. They found this bitch who was pretending to be dead. <laughs> they found this motherfucker Constanzo and his lover, and they were fucking murdered by a cult member who's just standing there with a submachine gun. Yeah. And this whole apartment is filled with smoke because he's been burning money for the past 45 minutes. Yeah, surreal. Now, here's the craziest thing is that De Leon later confessed that Constanzo had lost his mind and was saying that everything was lost and no one was going to have his money. When the police force raided and forced him to barricade himself in his apartment. So he starts burning his money because he doesn't want the police to have it. That's insane. Yeah. Isn't that that's like that pirate shit, like hiding <laughs> shit, knowing you're going to be trapping your fucking stash. Yes. So that nobody can get to it, including you. If we learn anything <laughs> on this podcast, it's that money literally makes some people crazy. Money is is evil. He so De Leon, last guy standing aside from Sarah in this apartment, states he participated in Kilroy's murder and other killings at Santa Elena, but both agreed, him and Sarah, that Constanzo did most of the killings himself. Sarah Aldrete denied participation in the killings and stated that she was unaware of them until she saw the victims on national television. Oh, I'm sure. She said she was sorry to hear about Kilroy's murder. She stated that she was not an official member of the cult and was barely going through the initiation. Oh, oh really? In addition, she stated she was held prisoner during Constanzo's hiding in Mexico City. When asked if she was in love with Constanzo, she denied it and said that she was only his follower. 
at the scene, the police took Aldrete, De Leon, Oreo Kea, Juan Carlos Fragso, and Jorge Montes into custody. These like random henchmen coming out of the woodwork. Uh-huh. They're like, uh, I don't know what the fuck just happened, but like <laughs> There's like some money on fire and these dudes kissing after they've been <laughs> that have been murdered with a submachine gun. The police also arrested Maria Lourdes Guero Lopez and Maria del Rochillo Cuevasquera and other cultists and other cultists under Constanzo in Mexico City later that day. And all these names that I'm saying, if you were to Google these people, these people have done bad fucking shit. These I are it. murderers, drug dealers, horrible people. If you be- if you actively use black magic, I believe that you are linked to horrible shit. A hundred percent. So the um Fearing that Constanzo might have purposely faked his own death, investigators conducted fingerprint analysis on the body. Oh, Great, smart. Right? They concluded that the corpse was indeed Constanzo. Constanzo's 9mm Uzi submachine gun and his supposed suitcase with the money in it were never formally presented by the police as seized items. You know what that means? The twisted fucking cops? Mm, they took some shit for themselves? That's exactly what that means. On May 15th, a judge refused to set bail for the individuals arrested that day because they were wanted for crimes accumulating over 50 years in prison. Then on June 19th, and then on June 10th, 1993, drug trafficking car- charges against Olvidio and Ponces Torres were dropped in the U.S. without a stated reason. So, so basically they didn't have enough evidence. They didn't have enough evidence to get them away from because... So Mexico's judicial system does not have parole. It allows for prisoners to file motions at an appeal court to reduce their sentences after several years. And this, if this condition is denied or granted, inmates can then push for um, getting out earlier. Okay. And if the fucking cops are twisted and the judicial system is twisted, they're going to get out. Yeah, that makes sense. And they probably have more friends in jail than they do on the outside. Right. Um, okay. So then on March 27th, 1998, a Mexican federal court reduced the sentences of everyone involved by 17 years. <laughs> and Magic. since the death penalty and life sentences are not part of the Mexico's judicial systems, reductions for the charges that are over 50 years are super common. The, um, in addition, individuals like the cult members who were charged with murder and other serious crimes that push the total punishment some over 50 years for capital murder often have their sentences reduced by the appeal court. So what I'm saying is that even though all of these people got caught and sent to jail in Mexico, they did not serve the same amount of justice that they would have if they were sent to jail in the United States. From everything you're telling me, it sounds like there's probably still a lot of police officers that just haven't been found out yet that are have ties to some of these people that are in jail. Right. So it's in their best interest to let these people go free. So this last piece of shit that's left, Sarah Aldrete... She spoke to the press in 2003 and denied her participation in Kilroy's murder and the cult killings. She stated that it was impossible for investigators to understand what had happened at Santa Elena because the biggest evidence in the case, Constanzo, was dead. Sarah Aldrete also stated that the police hid the names of famous people involved with Constanzo for their own convenience. Oh, I believe that. I believe that part too. She concluded that by stating she believed in God and was not going to ask society for forgiveness because she was innocent of the crimes. The following year, Aldrete interviewed. Why don't you say I'm sorry that I was hanging out with these bullshit people? Yeah, I'm I'm sorry that I was part of a terrible 
crew of people right. that were making people's lives fucking miserable and and murdering people. And I'm sorry I was ever associated and I'm sorry that I recruited people. Like yes. whether or not you actually know what's going on, which I'm, 100% she knew. Yes. But let's give her the benefit of the doubt. Maybe she's telling the truth and she doesn't really know. It doesn't matter. Like if I think that you're having a baking club yeah. and I'm like recruiting people to join the baking club and then later I realize that you've been murdering people this whole time. I should be like, wow, that, Whoa, that's sad. I'm so sorry that I didn't know what I was recruiting people for. Right. I should have looked more into it. Also, I'm sorry my apartment was covered in blood. <laughs> yeah. It was a phase. Like yeah, what? What? So then the following year after she's like said this thing in her book, she interviews with the press again and states that she had been tortured to confess. So she confesses and she was like, actually, I was tortured. It was a false confession made under duress. She said that she was stripped naked, blindfolded, beaten upside down and then had her toenails yanked. Aldrete claimed that she was so beaten so severely that the doctors told her she would never be able to have children. I don't know about that. Okay. In the early 2000s, she published an autobiography where she detailed how she met Constanzo in the group. Her experiences when she was allegedly taken hostage by Constanzo when she was in that apartment. Her mistreatment by authorities and her versions of the story. Aldrete claims that she had visited Constanzo in Mexico City and was then taken hostage after Constanzo decided not to let her go because she belie- he believed that she would go to the police and tell them where they were hiding. If that was true, he would have fucking killed her. Yeah, absolutely. It seems like he's had no problems killing people that were inconvenient to him. So why allow her to live right. and and to not even just to live, but she was able to move freely to recruit people and she was still in college. Yeah. So it's like she was able to go back and forth over the border. Right. And she, he gave her a car with the phone in it. Yeah. She claimed that Constanzo and the rest of the group were unaware of the killings that occurred in Matamoros until they found out that the police were looking for them, but then went into hiding nonetheless because they feared for their lives. She detailed her alleged mistreatments in jail and how she underwent beatings, psychological torture, rape, and an unfair trial. Her version of Constanzo's death was different than the official one. She stated that Constanzo was executed by the police when they raided the apartment. Oh, interesting. She, she also questioned the police's decision to burn down the shack in Santa Elena since it was crucial for the investigation and probably contained the fingerprints of the murders. Now here's where I'm fucking twisted about this. Yeah. I believe that. I believe that too. But I also believe she's not innocent. Oh no, no, definitely not innocent. But so something I was going to say is even if, you know, it's not a, um, a far stretch of the imagination to believe that she was probably tortured in Mexican prison, right? Like, right. you know, it's not, it doesn't require a leap of logic to say, yeah, it makes sense that the police probably burned down this building because it may have had ties to them. But also that doesn't mean that she's innocent just because she says a couple of true things. I agree. So every in an interview with the press in 2014, so That's recent. so recent. So fucking recent. Serafine and Martinez Salinas gave their versions of the story and proclaimed their innocence, of course. Serafine, the guy that was drove the truck that had Mark Kilroy in the trunk oh to God. his death. Okay. He stated that the Federal Judicial Police Commander Juan Benitez Ayalaya found Serafine guilty because he was related to the brothers Hernandez. He said he was not arrested at the ranch, but rather at Elio's in-law's house in Matamoros. He said that he grew up in Houston and moved to Brownsville for college and that he was in Matamoros visiting his family when he was taken by the police. 
Serafine said he had been tortured by the Mexican and U.S. police in Matamoros to confess his participation in Kilroy's murder and the killings at Santa Elena. He was allegedly beaten and told that he and his family would be killed if he spoke English during his declaration. He said that he was a student of Texas Southmost College and he knew who Aldrete was but didn't have any connection with her. Serafine also stated that he had never met Constanzo and had no idea his family ranch was a gathering place for his cult. He said that he had never dug up bodies and had been taken to the ranch after the bodies were already exhumed. What the fuck? So is it confirmed that he was a student and that he spoke fluent English? Like, is any of this confirmed or is it just stuff that he's saying? It's stuff that he's saying, but like... But that seems like it would be easy to confirm or deny. But but also, okay, so he was a student. No, he was a student or he was enrolled there. But it's hard to tell. Was he enrolled there because he was a lure? Because he could speak uh, English. Uh-huh. And so he could lure these people over the border just the same way that Sarah was. She was like this beautiful cheerleader, Texas girl, yeah. who then could also like lure you over to her like blood apartment and get yeah. you murdered and <laughs> across the border. Yeah. And then they're also saying that the cops like lied and i 100 percent believe that the like u.s police and mexican police torture the shit out of these people on mexican soil yeah yeah like i don't believe that's not a thing so it's like i'm fucked up about this because what can we believe who who can can you believe isn't that crazy like there is someone who is dead but this thing goes so deep and everyone's trying to protect themselves or are they trying to protect someone bigger? I mean, even when they said that they shot Constanzo, the police were like, oh, we have to check his fingerprints. But then the police totally hid some of the evidence. They, the you know, the the briefcase with all of the money never turned up. And conveniently, the story is that Constanzo burned all the money. Right. And the, they burned down some of the evidence right. and all these people magically get released early. 17 years shaved off their sentence. Yes. Yeah. That's nuts. It's nuts. And like, who can you believe? Because I think there's little shards of truth in everyone's story. Yeah, definitely. So Martina Salinas, on the other hand, stated that he was forced to confess because he was a neighbor at Santa Elena and the driver of the Hernandez family. He said he had been beaten and taken into the ranch where he was told to pose with exhumed bodies. When asked if he had ever met Constanzo, he stated that he had seen him in person at the ranch with Hernandez, but had ne- with the Hernandezes, but had never talked to him. Martina Salinas said he was arrested one afternoon at Elio's in-laws house when he was looking for a part for his car. He said he had known Aldrete for years before and she had dated one of- he had dated one of her sisters when he was young. He said that he had never heard of Aldrete talk about the cult. He said that she had talked about her school and marriage. He also said that Elio and Olivio, the Hernandez boys, never invited him to the cult or talked to him about it but it's also really convenient that these three people are being like oh what she's saying is true yeah. oh yeah what he's saying is true yeah yeah the, yeah yeah everyone's telling the truth yeah it's just whatever's most convenient for you and that's what makes it so hard to know who's telling the truth right so two months after we're almost to the end here guys the ride is coming to an end but there's still a few more bumps so don't unbuckle those seat belts yet Two months after Kilroy was confirmed dead, his parents founded the Mark Kilroy Foundation, which promotes drug awareness, education, and prevention through the Just Say No campaign. You've heard of that before, oh, right? Oh, they, they founded the they Just founded Say No that. campaign? Wow, yep. that was a huge campaign growing huge. up. Since Kilroy's dream was to become a doctor after care, after college, his parents decided to help others and continue his dream through this program. Since 1994, the foundation has sponsored and worked alongside Substance Abuse Free Environment, 
or known as SAFE, a political nonprofit community group that promotes awareness for substance abuse and drug prevention. Both of them partner with the Santa Fe local government and its school system and the ones nearby and with businesses and private donors to provide programs for the entire year. The full-time and part-time counselors visit school campuses during the academic year in Santa Fe and in Hitchhawk, Texas to hold programs for approximately 800 students regularly. So when all these students come there, they're gone for the summer. The foundation conducts programs and summer camps by partnering with volunteers. They offer free outdoor activities like archery and golf and fishing and tennis and swimming. An average of 550 youth participate in these programs every summer. The purpose of the summer activities is to keep the youth distracted when they're not in school so they don't get bored and think about consuming drugs. In September of 1999, the foundation signed an agreement with the U.S. federal government to receive 10 yearly grants of $100,000, you know, a million dollars a year. By the 10th year, the government intended to stop the funding and expect the foundation to be self-supporting. However, Kilroy's parents stated that the yearly expenses exceed $160,000 and that they need to find new ways to make up the deficit. The Mark Kilroy Foundation was one of the five nonprofit organizations in Galveston County that receives proceeds from a bingo place in Lamarck, Texas. They also received proceeds from the sale of the book Sacrifice, which was written by Kilroy's father and Bob Stewart in 1990. So these parents have created this Mark Kilroy Foundation that started the Just Say No campaign, which if you were a, a child, you know, like a millennial, you know what the Just Say No campaign yeah, it was is. Very, very popular. Very, very popular. And then they go and they create a foundation where they're getting $100,000 a year to keep kids in basically busy during the summer so mm-hmm. that they're not getting into drugs. So Mark, after Mark Kilroy was confirmed dead, the media framed the drug group and their religious practices as Satanist. For the most part, the U.S. media labeled the group as a Satanist group and gave little mention to the drug-related violence that was widespread in northern Mexico, thus failing to provide a wider picture of what happened in Matamoros. Reports concluded that because human body parts were found inside a large metal pot, the group practiced Ooh. cannibalism. Some journalists made the error of attributing cannibalism with the common mistake of Satanist groups sacrificing and eating human remains. Other writers, however, stated that Constanzo believed in the devil. In addition, some occult writers believe that the nature of Kilroy's murder, which included mutilation and clandestine burial, was part of an occult tradition. When the media coverage and allegations of Constanzo's affinity towards Satanism died down, several Afro-Caribbean scholars stated that the Constanzo's actions were fueled by his personal conviction and psychopathic involvement with Paolo Mayombe. They argued that Constanzo used Paolo Mayombe for his own financial, illicit, and psychological needs by convincing his cult members to help further his drug trafficking operations. Through human sacrifice, Constanzo promised his members that they were protected from the law. Other Afro-Caribbean scholars, on the other hand, alleged that Constanzo murdered Kilroy because he truly believed it was a requirement in his distorted view of Paolo Mayombe. On the 20th anniversary of their son's murder, Kilroy's parents visited the Rio Grande Valley and Matamoros to thank the people who had supported them in their search for their son. Kilroy's father stated that people were supportive and called the police whenever they saw something suspicious that they thought was related to their son's disappearance. He said that it was easier to overcome their son's death because of the support they received. And Kilroy's mother said she received a cross from Brownsville, Texas, 
from a woman who said she was searching for her son in 1989. She wears it because it's to remember, quote, that every time I know that the Lord was involved in everything, she said, when she touched and showed the cross around her neck. So after Kilroy's dead, the media says, oh, this is a Satanist thing. And then kind of glosses over the drug trafficking thing, uh-huh. which makes total sense because if the you the like it's not wide known, but I feel like most conspiracy theorists and most modern Americans know that we do business like the American government does business with the cartel. The conspiracy is that the media framed this as this Satanist thing and brought all this attention to the cannibalism and all this stuff because they're just saying, oh, this was a crazy cult where really what happened was it was drug trafficking. Okay. So we don't know if the police and all the things that I told you were just like things that the police said to further distract away from the actual like giant underbelly of this entire community of Matamoros being um, a drug trafficking city, basically. Okay, so what actually happened to Mark Kilroy? This is what actually happened to him when he went missing. Okay. As Kilroy stood on the street, or this is what they can... um, What's been proven or what they think is most likely. Right. Okay. This is what they think is most likely. They can never know for sure because this Aldrete girl won't tell us. And and no one else And Costanzo died and his friends were too drunk to remember where they last saw him. As Kilroy stood on the street, he was lured by a man parked inside a red truck who had apparently called him and asked him if he needed a ride. As he got close to the vehicle, Kilroy was grabbed by two men, Serafine Hernandez-Garcia and Malio Fabio Ponce-Torres, and wrestled inside the trunk. Because of Kilroy's size and athletic strength, Kilroy was able to break loose about two blocks down the road after one of the gangsters stopped for a few moments to catch his breath. (laughs) Kilroy ran from the truck, but was eventually intercepted by another vehicle driven down by the gangster's alleys and then taken in at gunpoint. He was then subdued and handcuffed in the back of the second car. The gangsters drove Kilroy through the back streets of the city and past an industrial area. The number of bars and vendors stands in the street began to thin out as they drove Kilroy through a highway in the city's outskirts. The gangsters then turned to a dirt road that stretched between two cornfields. When they got to the private ranch town known as Santa Elena, they left Kilroy inside the car overnight. Shortly after dawn, the ranch's caretaker went to see Kilroy and fed him bread, eggs, and water. About 12 hours after Kilroy was kidnapped, Adolfo Constanzo and his men came to see him. They wrapped his face and mouth with duct tape and walked him through a field to a storage cabin with his hands still tied behind his back. Throughout the night, Kilroy was tortured and sodomized. He was then led out to the field and Adolfo Constanzo killed him by chopping the back of his neck and head with a machete. His brain was then boiled in a ganga, an African medical pot that Adolfo Constanzo used to stew human and animal remains. Kilroy's legs were chopped off above his knees to facilitate his burial. A wire was inserted into his spinal cord to pull out the bones once the body decomposed. The cult members then dug a hole in the ground and buried Kilroy's corpse. It seems so... Calculated. And useless. And like, useless. What did they really accomplish? It seems so unnecessary. Like, let's get this random person mm-hmm. that's hanging out drunk and torture them and sodomize him and then take his brains and put it in a pot and bury him. 
Yeah. Okay, cool. What did you accomplish? Like what higher purpose does that serve? It clearly didn't, in retrospect for them, I'm sure they realize now it actually didn't serve any purpose. It had no magical purpose at all because Mm -hmm. it brought about their downfall. Right. So it's not like they were performing some ritual to bring about prosperity or good luck or whatever they were trying to do. It actually brought about the opposite, their deaths. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just... So to me, this is proof that whatever bastardization of Santeria that he, that Costanzo thought he was following... Was wrong. Was wrong. Yeah. I mean, I think about it and I'm like, okay, if I was an author and the story I just told you was a novel, Mm -hmm. what would be the meaning of it? Like, what does this story tell us about human nature, about superstition, about religion, you know? It's like one to me, I really thought about it because I wanted to be like Mark Kilroy's parents who were like, okay, there's a meaning from this. Mm. God works in mysterious ways We're you know, we're religious people and we're going to not give up our faith in this moment. We're going to continue to live in our faith. And so I'm like, okay, what can we draw from this if we just look at it as like this giant larger picture of something we can learn from? And I don't know, I was thinking like, is it is the author wanting us to know that one bad decision can undo a fucking lifetime of good deeds? Oh, that's a good one. You know, like this kid, Mark Kilroy, he put so much effort and so much work into his life and like just trying to be a good person and planning for his future and he had everything going for him. And all it took was just this one time where where he just made one bad decision that was so uncharacteristic of him. You know, I'm just like, maybe he was doing drugs, you know, maybe it was that he was talking to this Miss Tanline girl and that's like at the CD bar and it's not something the normal him would do. Maybe it was he was lusting after something that wasn't going to bring him any long term joy, you know? Yeah. Like hooking up with some random girl from a bikini contest isn't going to bring you long term joy. And it's not his fault, obviously, but it's like not fair that one decision can undo every good you've ever done it's just like it's not fair yeah it's not fair when there's so many people that make bad decisions all the time and nothing happens to them yeah it sucks i i i when i hear this story the thing that comes to mind and maybe it's just because we got the news today that kobe bryant was killed in a helicopter crash that makes absolutely no sense and is so unfair yeah um but something that comes to mind when I hear the story is that death waits for no man. Mm-hmm. You cannot avoid death. It will come for all of us at one point. And no matter how much good you bring into the world, if it's your time, it's your time. Right. You know, I mean, Kobe Bryant was doing amazing things through his foundations and mm-hmm. he still died. And it's... But he. But I guess we can le- lessen other people's suffering while we're here. Mm-hmm, yeah, know? definitely. Yeah, you can try to be as good of a person as you can be and just make sure you're smart about... I mean, I I think that you and I have had many opportunities to die <laughs> just based on poor decision making. So, yes. Yeah, so I agree with you that it's not fair to say that any of this blame is Mark's fault because it's not. Right. Um, it's, it's the decision of the people that killed him it's their fault it's not his fault for being a kid and it came from such a long like if we look at the way that he was raised from with love like 
every step of the way. Yeah. Where the way that Adolfo was raised, where he's brought up in, you know, like to believe that everyone's out to get you and he didn't even have a father figure growing up. And that's not to say that that's an excuse because there's tons of people who grow up with like dysfunctional and shittier situations than that and they don't become a cult leader or murderer. Mm -hmm. But it's like, our actions truly do affect everybody else around us. It's like the butterfly effect is actually real. And even just like smiling at a stranger on the street might undo, you know, some horrible thing that was bound to happen. I think too. You just never know how your actions affect other people. Definitely. I absolutely agree. And I think too, we're getting more awareness as um, young people about watching out for your friends, which is something that we sort of touched upon earlier where you were saying, yeah, I would have probably done the same thing as his friend. Like, oh, he's talking to this hot girl. I don't want to cock block. Right. And I would have absolutely done that same thing in college. But now that all of these stories come out or are, being, are more publicized about bad things that have happened to people, I mean, even with just like Uber examples of like women getting drunk into something, a car they think is their Uber and it's not like... All of that stuff teaches us that we really need to look out for each other and we need to make sure that as a community we're we're watching out for each other and we're making sure our friends and family and loved ones are safe and that's really all we can do. It takes a village, right? Yeah. And so we just have to make sure we're doing our part. That's, yeah, it's true. And with all of the energy, I mean, like, obviously death waits for no man and you have no control over so many things. So the things that you do have control over, you should try with all of your might to just be the best that you can be and inspire others and do whatever it is that's your gift and everyone has different gifts and just like pursue it with all of the purpose that you have yeah and have a fun ass time but go into a fun ass time with a plan and make sure that you're looking out for each other so here's a picture of mark let me see oh yeah He's cute. Aww. I know. He would have been. Oh, man. I can see how he was, like, popular. He was the star athlete. Yeah. You know. Very 80s photo. Very 80s. He's he got has, a I'll describe it for the listeners at home. This will be posted to the Instagram photo dump as usual. So he is a young... Um, a young guy with maybe like darker, dirty blonde hair. And does he have blue eyes? Uh, I think so. Yeah. And he has a big smile and he's got a light blue button down shirt. Like he just looks like. He looks like he's doing pre-med. Yeah, absolutely. He's like adorable, wholesome. Mm -hmm. I know. I just want to give him a hug. Yeah. He's like the kind of guy that I would date when I was that age. Just adorable. Mm -hmm. Um, Or I wouldn't have dated him when I was that age, but I will date him now. Yeah. (laughs) The ghost of Mark, please come back and date Natalia. Yes. (laughs) And then here, wait, do I have another? Hold on. Then here's a picture of Sarah. Oh, yeah. Is that her on the right as well? So left and right are both her? Yes. Yeah, she's she's pretty. She's beautiful. She, I can see. She's got good bone structure. She does. She's very like Mm -hmm. model-esque. She's got like dark brunette hair, fair skin, really strong features. Like she looks like a very like just striking woman, big eyes, Mm -hmm. um, nice. Yeah, very nice facial, facial features. You might be like, well, where's like the supernatural part of it? But to me, it's almost a layer deeper. I think the supernatural aspect of this story for me is just how people can use 
religion for evil or magic for evil. Like we've talked about right. before the, how there's the white, of good versus yeah, evil. there's white magic and black magic and white magic can be as simple as meditation or setting an intention or smiling at somebody or smiling at someone yeah. or lighting a candle, giving or, a compliment. Yeah. Buying a crystal, like, right. you know, whatever. Okay. Doing a good deed. Right. And then there's black magic, which is like human sacrifice and wishing harm on wishing, others. Yes. Performing rituals and spells to bring about pain and suffering to others i would even voodoo for me this story that you just told is really hitting home how evil black magic is whether yeah. or not you believe it's actual magic is sort of irrelevant mm -hmm. because all that matters is that costanzo believed in enough to bring about right. the death of all of these people and it's not just the you know white texan pre-med student that died and i think it's really unfortunate that it took an american student American students' death to bring about this justice because they right. found so many bodies of Mexican citizens on this property. Well, I wrote down a, some thoughts that okay. I had while you were talking. Um, and the first thing I wrote down is I'm glad that weed is legal now because it strikes me as so archaic that this entire drug cartel was based on the sale of marijuana. Right. And it took forever for it to come around. Like, and that sucks. But I'm so glad that now weed is legal and that now we can start to kind of do away with the illegal cartels right. associated with that drug. Well, something else that I wrote down, which is kind of off topic, but because uh, I didn't want to interrupt you because you were on a roll and it was really good, is that uh, we were talking about finding out that your man is cheating. Oh, yeah. Um, let me tell you something horrifying that is in everyone's iPhone right now. I don't know. Maybe you've already seen this. Do you have your iPhone with you? Yeah. Okay. Do you want to grab it, hold it in your hand? I'm going to do it at the same time as you. Uh, okay. Okay. Go to settings. Go to privacy. Now go to location services. Uh-huh. Now scroll all the way down to the bottom and go to system services. Uh-huh. Okay. Now scroll all the way down to the bottom and go to significant locations. Okay. And then <gasps> do your fingerprint. Oh. <laughs> do How you did see? you learn about that? Okay. So for people listening at home, if you have an iPhone, you should rewind and follow those exact same steps because your mind is about to be fucking blown. Oh my God. It, it knows will have me. a history of every single location you've ever visited and how many times you've been there. And if you click on the individual locations, you can even see what hours you were there. <gasps> the government is using this against us 100%. But also if it helps to take down drug lords, good. And also if you go missing and your phone is left behind, this is good for you too. Or if someone can access it, they can 100 access this or if you want to find out if your man or woman is cheating yes. and you want to see if they've been at their ex's house for right. at three in the morning oh my god Alyssa this, yeah this is this is mind-blowing isn't it mind-blowing yes I discovered this the other day and I was like holy fucking shit you can literally see every friend's house I've ever been to since 2017 Oh you can God. see like it shows when we were in London. It shows when we were in Cologne. It shows when we were in Munich. Oh, my God. It's just perfect for my memory, though, because I'm like uh, people always ask me, oh, what have you been doing with your life? And now I can just go through here and be like, oh, yeah, well, let me tell you where I was last week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, again, is this toxic behavior that I'm promoting? Yes. However, it's there. If you are going to go missing, it's important for you right. to know that people can find knowledge you. is power knowledge is power here's the thing cover too. your tracks knowledge is power and if you do suspect that your boyfriend is cheating on just you just break up with them just 
break up all with them or ask yourself what sketchy shit you're doing that you assume everyone else is doing. True. Yeah. Is this internalized sketchy shit because you're the one cheating on them? Right. That's my favorite. Boom. Break up with them because right. you're not mature enough to be it, in a relationship. And if someone starts asking you if you're cheating and you're not cheating, they're cheating They're on cheating. A hundred percent. Yes. That's happened to me before. Yes, exactly. A hundred percent. Yeah. And if you haven't had any of these experiences, where do you live? Because I'm going to move there and start dating. <laughs> Are you living in a... <laughs> you know, in a mountainous village. Uh, great. Invite me. Yes, please. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So what are your final thoughts on this story? Do you think Costanzo was actually practicing magic? And if so, do you think that his fate was a direct result of that magic coming back to bite him sort of like karma? Uh, I, I, I have two thoughts. Okay. One of them is a hundred percent. He had this coming for him mm-hmm. and worse. I also think that here's where the conspiracy gets deep and here's where you should stop me too because I get fucking fucked up on this stuff. Constanzo and all of these people were really good at cleaning up their tracks, mm-hmm. right? Like they're hardened criminals and they are good at what they do. Now, I believe why would they take Mark Kilroy? Why would they really take this person who was clearly going to leave a trail, you know, like this all-American gringo person when all of the other exhumed bodies weren't. Mm-hmm. Was it because they wanted to set someone up? Was it because they wanted to call attention to the situation? Why did this truck drive through that checkpoint and didn't stop? It was almost like they wanted the police to follow them to the ranch. Mm-hmm. Why, when they got there, did they leave Mark Kilroy in the car long enough for there to be a missing report or whatever it was you know it was just like it seems like everything had a reason for it it seems like if they really wanted these things to happen if they really wanted this to all go unchecked they could have been so much more secretive about it but it was like they left a trail and that's what makes me believe that there's something deeper here going on but the government's not even going to dive into it because there it's going to there's people that are bad people that are here in the US too who are also crooked. Yeah. Yeah, if it sounds like we're being critical of the Mexican justice system and government, it's because we are. However, my next episode's going to be about Epstein, which is going to have all the same hallmarks right. in this episode. People yes. getting out of prison early. Yes. People who are friends with high officials in right. the law enforcement or government and so they don't get in trouble. And I think that that's a constant theme throughout most governments and most countries this is not unique to mexico this is a really unfortunate symptom of money Mm -hmm. money talks and if you have money you have power and if you have power you know people and if you know people the rules don't apply to you maybe this miss tanline contest girl too we never found out who it was it could have been sarah i thought when you told me that i thought it was sarah that's something that i was thinking like they put her there to lure somebody in right and they probably had seen her several times before and she might have even saw mark and been like oh we're gonna choose him because his uncle works in the police very true on los angeles it could have been i mean you don't know i just feel like costanzo died we'll never know what his train of thought was right or did he we don't even know if he really died he could have been faked everything yeah, and if you haven't seen Sicario, you should see it because I don't know if it's based off of this, but I kind of feel like it is. Yeah, Sicario is a great movie. Yes. Definitely. Well, I think that this shit is fucking haunted. And it is so haunted. That ranch is fucking haunted. Tying 
wires to somebody's spine so that you can pull up their bones to make a necklace out of it after their body decomposes Mm -hmm. is fucking the most haunted thing I've ever heard in my life. And I hate it. Or was it that they put those wires through their spine so that they could pull up the bodies as evidence to frame whoever it was Mm -hmm. later? That's a good point too. Um, Maybe we'll never know. Also, what are you supposed to do if you have this ranch and a huge drug dealer comes in and starts doing all of this illegal stuff and is like already killed some of your brothers and is like, I'm going to kill you guys if you don't say yes to this. Yeah, too. there's it's nothing like, you can do. Right. So who we don't know what the motives of anyone are in this story. Right. We don't know if these people were just sacrificial lambs that the law, that law enforcement was like, let's put all this yes. blame on these people so that we're, we get away scot-free. And if we believe what Sarah was saying, that there was a lot of celebrities and famous people who weren't mentioned mm-hmm. that, that got away with this too, then so this wasn't that long ago. So that means there's still some of those people that are out by at large, right? Yeah. I mean, this was so recent. You, The last thing you told me about Sarah was in 2014. So yes. these people are still out there. And mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just a clusterfuck. Who knows who to believe? It goes deep, guys. It goes fucking deep. And we want to hear your theories. Yes. Because this shit is convoluted AF. Yes, it is. Go in our Reddit and write some shit on there and too. And tell us what you think. Solve it. Solve it. And call, don't call the feds because they might not want it solved. Before but call us, <laughs> email us. <laughs> if we're if we're not here too, it's because we got taken. It's a hundred. You're gonna have to uh, Liam Neeson. Get us. Get a plan. Go into log into my iCloud. Find my recent locations. Yes. Figure out my pattern of what I was doing the week right. before. Retrace my steps and find me. And come rescue this dog and give it actual food. Yes, please. <laughs> this vegan dog needs your help. Um, Venmo us and we'll get some <laughs> meat food for this dog. Before we go, I want to shout out my source. This was all from a Wikipedia page. Oh, and really? who, Yes. And whoever wrote this really went in depth, really took the time because they really wanted this to all work out. And I kind of feel like it might have been the Kilroys. Oh, interesting. Because they went super in depth with all of this. And it would make sense that they really want people to know this story. So big shout out to whoever did the Wikipedia. It was all super concise. Everything was sorted very well. And it was the only source that I needed to use. That's amazing. So thank you. That's so rare too, to only need one source because it's just so well. Right. Like together. I fact checked it, but I, at, in the end I was like, no, 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 the Wikipedia this is the best one. It's yeah. what said the best. Amazing. Yes. I know Wikipedia gets a bad rap, but honestly it's legitimate because mm-hmm. it has primary sources listed at the bottom. So if you want to fact check, you can go check out that source. That's, that's right. hyperlinked. And then you can google that source to see if it's real yeah <laughs> you want to do our sign off yeah um brb gotta go win miss tan lines oh hey. whoa. Uh, whoa risky okay i mean let me know if you want me to win miss tan lines in the comments below would i win no because i'm very pale and i have no tan lines. <laughs> but you know what it's miss um, tan lines miss- like you missed them <gasps> Missed tan lines. I would win that one. (laughs) Very pale. (laughs) All right, guys. Bye. Bye.